Bundle and save at Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin and protect your home from nature. Get a 250 series patio door and eight double hung windows with hidden screens for as low as $188 per month. Visit PowerWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. So, Vince Vetrano. This is, of course, the, the cut-down day in the NFL. They, they've changed it. It used to be you had to have, like, one or two intermediate cuts uh, before they had to get down to the 53-man roster. They don't do that anymore. you got 90 players, and then by the end of, by 3 o'clock today, our time, they got to get down to 53. So I'm looking at the list of players that are being released. And, and I, while it's interesting for fans to pay attention to this, first of all, I've always thought that, I don't know that the difference between who the 52nd guy is and who the 57th guy is pretty, probably isn't going to get you to the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. you know? okay. But secondly, especially all these people, I'm looking at the list of names. And, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Packers fan. I don't know any of these people. They're, they're just, they're, there's no, it's just people that you've never heard of. Before. I did the same thing, Jeff, just to prepare the sports report. And I, I looked over at Eric uh, over in the newsroom. I'm like, hey, any. Anything coming out? Any surprises? And no, there wasn't. There wasn't a name on there that I that I recognized. Right? Maybe it was the okay. This is the guy that was the seventh round draft pick two years ago and has been on the practice squad for right. two years or things like that. And no, now I understand that you know for many of these people this is their their dream is to play in the NFL. So it's a just a a soul crushing thing to be cut. But from the interest for the perspective of general. People, yeah, yeah, you know, it's the oh, it's too too bad that they cut Lou Nichols. Who's Lou Nichols? You know, <laughs> if you were expecting to see Lou Nichols and he got cut, like, at, right, it's not going to be a good year for your team, right? Dre Miller, the wide receiver from Maine, oh, a big football school, spent twenty the twenty twenty two season on the practice squad of the New York Giants, where he was converted to tight end. He was converted back to wide receiver upon coming to the Packers ahead of the training camp. Well, he's gone. You know? Yeah, when they're messing around with your position too, that's another indication that maybe like, well, this guy's an athlete maybe there's something we can find for him but right. yeah and again i don't mean to be unsympathetic because like i say this is a big deal for a lot of those players this is you know they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do when the packers give them their box of future endeavors they're going to have to figure out you know where where they go from here we talked but, to mark tauscher about it this morning jeff he said he kind of figured like just don't bring your phone with you if they can't find you they can't cut you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he wasn't real confident in that yeah strategy. i'm not sure yeah. yeah, i'm not exactly sure that's how it works but anyways we will be tracking we'll be tracking the packers and i think the interesting thing would be aside from now i understand there's probably the really hardcore fans that maybe that person was up at practice, and I had a friend who went to practice one day, and he came up with this newspaper that had the whole listing, you know, of all the Packers players, including a couple that they doubled up numbers. You know, they, so yeah. a couple guys had the same number and things because there were so many of them. So if if you memorize that, well, then you know, Gene Delance. Maybe you were a huge Gene Delance fan, um, but otherwise. Sorry, Gene. Yeah, sorry, Gene. Too bad. <laughs> Keandre Thomas gone. <laughs> Nate McRae gone. You know, so um, well, we'll we try to be sympathetic as it goes on. I was surprised about the Pat O'Donnell situation. I thought he was a good punter. Um, well, I, I thought they were going to keep him because you've got the rookie kicker right. who's been sort of erratic, he's... big leg but erratic, and he's uh, O'Donnell was one of the best holders in the league, and you know took a lot of bad snaps and made them okay. So. Uh, but apparently the other guy's got a much stronger leg. But, you know, I, 
Uh, again, this is, is why we are here. Right, right. Is, is your punter is your punter going to get you to the right. Super Bowl again? <laughs> it's it's kind of hopefully like, not. Right. Oh yeah. Hope hopefully not. Watch watch who the long snapper is. It's the same sort of thing. Anyways, we will keep you covered on all the different moves that the Packers are bringing about. Um, Vince was also absolutely correct during his newscast. The big watch. You know, for, forget about the hurricane watch down in Florida. Easy for me to say because this year it looks like at least this one's going to go way to the north of where I live. But I just, having been through that last year, you go, man, you feel just so bad for the people. But the big watch around here, the magic number is three. Three more Brewers wins. And George Webb, that's that 12 hamburgers. So it could be. Okay, so they play tonight in Chicago. They play tomorrow afternoon in Chicago. They're off on Thursday Friday. All right. If they can string together three more wins, and I'm not making any predictions, that means that means Labor Day weekend we could all be getting a free hamburger at George Webb's, and I will be in line on Saturday to do it if that comes about. What a good game! I was telling the I was telling the story before the transition. I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game last night because I came home, and I think the people that were fixing our sprinkler system in the back cut the cable line. I, I think. Um, but I, I do, I'll, I'll know when the Spectrum Cable people get out at 3 o'clock in this afternoon to fix it. But I, I came home, no Internet, no cable thing. And I think, you know, they were digging right around where I think the cable line would be. So I think somebody cut. Now, it could be something else, and this could just be a coincidence that happened, but I, I don't think so. But anyhow, so last night we had no, no cable, no Internet, and so no ability to watch the Brewers game. But I did have a chance, old-fashioned way, to listen to it on WTMJ on the radio, and it was a great game, and they started off well, held the lead, didn't choke it away. Big win. Hopefully hopefully they can duplicate that, and hopefully I will be able to watch it on television this evening. That's one of my goals. Okay, I promised this before. Since we did not have, since since my cable is gone, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just gone. No cable television, no Internet, no anything. I, I've had to go, you know, old school, back to the way when I first started doing talk radio programs in this market in 1995. You know, you'd, you'd sit down and you'd try to, like, grab some information and you'd write notes and stuff. So I, I've gone back. And so for those of you who are watching us on our YouTube channel at WTMJ or alternatively WTMJ.com and watching the live stream, this is – this is old school. This is my visual aid right here. These are my show plan notes. I haven't done something like this for like 20 years, but it's my like handwritten notes of the different things and links to where I can get to the different stories. So that that's it. We are old school today. Thanks to, uh, again, whoever deactivated my cable and Internet system. Hopefully, by the time I'm back on Thursday, hopefully by the time I get home today, this will be all fixed. Let us get started want to tell you a story about a 17-year-old who I believe is back out in the community. And I'm going to ask you a very provocative question. We do that in just a moment. The Wagner Show rolls on right after the break. All right, let me tell you the story of 17-year-old Never Williamson. All right. Now, Never Williamson, in May of this year, pled guilty in St. Croix County, so the other part of the state, pled guilty to a charge of fleeing from the police. He was put on probation. 
All right, 17 years old, put on probation. I think that, at least as near as I could tell, that was his first conviction in adult court. Fleeing from the police, put on two years probation. All right, that's May. And as we often talk about on this program, one of the great things about this country is everybody gets second chances. One of the bad things about this country is people get fourth and fifth and sixth chances. So he's on probation, effective May 22nd of this year. Let us flash forward to August 21st. So approximately May to June, June to July, July to August, approximately three months after being being put on probation for, uh, again, fleeing from police. 17-year-old Navari Williamson is back in the news. Here's the way Fox 6 reports it. A 17-year-old Milwaukee boy has been criminally charged in connection with a police pursuit and crash that happened on Monday, August 4th. Never Williamson is facing charges, wait for it, first degree recklessly endangering safety, sale, possession, use, transport of machine guns, and operator fleeing, eluding an officer, bodily harm, or property damage, according to the criminal complaint. Shortly after 3 p.m. on August 21st, officers were dispatched to a reckless driving complaint regarding a red Toyota Camry with a broken windshield in the area of 68th and Capitol Drive. The officers noted the vehicle description matched that of a Toyota Camry bearing Florida registration that had been involved in and was wanted in connection with a shooting that had occurred on August 20th. All right, so... August 20th, there's a shooting. They've got an identification of the car. They get a report that the car is involved the next day on reckless driving. All right. The officers locate the vehicle near North 77th Street and Cortland Avenue and attempt to conduct a traffic stop. All right. You can all fill in the blank as to what happens now. The police try to pull the car over. I will give you three guesses as to what happened, but the first two don't count. The vehicle did not stop. And a police chase ensued, according to the complaint. The complaint says that the Toyota proceeded north on North 76th Street from West Glendale Avenue, failed to stop for a red light at the intersection of North 76th Street and West Hampton. Hampton used to be a street that you could, you know, if you needed to get from, like, the east side over to the west side, you could take Hampton. Now you take your life into your own hands if you do it. So blows through a... um, traffic light at 76th and Hampton. The Toyota continued north on 76th Street. Now, 76th Street, for those of you who aren't familiar with this area, that's that's a big north-south street, all right? 76th, the Toyota continued north on 76th Street in the wrong lane of travel. So <laughs> it's driving into oncoming traffic until it maneuvered into oncoming westbound traffic onto the ex- exit ramp at North 76th Street and West Silver Spring. So it's going into oncoming traffic. The car was also driving at a high rate of speed. The Toyota continued into oncoming traffic down the exit ramp and then drove north over the grass and concrete embankment of the North 76th Street and West Silver Spring Drive bridge. The, the complaint indicates the Toyota continued driving. My producer, Samantha, is shaking her head. It, it, it's, yeah, the complaint indicates the Toyota then continued east on Silver Spring Drive in the wrong direction of travel at high speeds. Let me just stop here. 
It is an absolute, use whatever adjective you want, miracle that somebody is not dead. High rate of speed, wrong way, the whole way down 76th Street, now on an off-ramp or on-ramp or whatever, and now going down Silver Spring, wrong lane, high rate of speed. Okay, in the area of North 74th Street and West Silver Spring, the Toyota collided with a Chevrolet Impala. The vehicle pursuit was then terminated and later determined to have a total length of one and a half miles, during which the Toyota increased its speed from approximately 40 miles per hour to 96 miles per hour. After the Camry came to a stop, um, officers spotted a male, later identified as Navarro Williamson, running westbound away from the crash scene into an alleyway north of Silver Spring Drive. He ran onto Silver Spring Drive and surrendered. He was taken into custody. A search of the Camry resulted in the recovery of a tan 9mm Glock 19 handgun modified with an auto-sear device. That's these things that you put on to make them fire automatically. It takes a regular semi-automatic pistol, you put them on, and it turns it into a machine gun effectively. Because once you pull the trigger, it then you don't have to re-pull the trigger. That, that's what an auto-sear is. So the guy's got an auto-sear, 10mm, 9mm Glock, 9mm handgun with the auto-sear device that turns it into a machine gun. And an extended magazine containing 16 live rounds. You know, one of those, because nine rounds isn't enough. An additional live round was discovered in the firearms chamber. So the guy, I mean, you've got 16 in the pipe, you've got, you know, and then you've got one in the chamber. Okay, so you you get the idea. And by the way, lest I forget where the story started, this is a guy who was convicted three months ago in St. Croix County, of fleeing police and eluding, who is on probation. All right, here here's the story. This is the, the money portion of the story, and you have to read to the very last paragraph to get it. Williamson made his initial appearance in Milwaukee County Court on Saturday, August 26th. The court set. Now, I, I want to give you just a minute to think about this, because... The court set bond, right? The court set a bond. Now, I want you to think about for a minute, in a rational world, somebody who's on probation for three months ago from eluding police, who's in a car that was involved in, you know, the, the day before that was involved in a, a wanted for in connection with a shooting that occurred on August 20th. All right. They see the car. Long high-speed chase down the wrong way of traffic, 95 miles an hour, smashes into another car. The guy runs away. In the car, they find essentially a modified handgun that's turned it into a machine gun, um, and he gets caught. So the question would be, in a rational world, what sort of bond, bail, would you set on this guy? And, and when I saw the stories reported on Fox 6, I have to tell you, I didn't believe it. I, I thought this cannot be. Milwaukee County Court Commissioner Grace Flynn could not have set bail in this amount. So I, so you don't have to. I, I actually pulled out the records and I went and I, I looked at the case file because I thought, oh, my gosh, the TV station had to have made a mistake in reporting this because nobody would have nobody would have set this bond for this guy. Nobody would have done that. 
It had to be a mistake on the part of Fox 6. They had to have reported it wrong. But no, when I went to Wisconsin Circuit Court Access, I saw that it was, in fact, correct. So what did Milwaukee County Court Commissioner Grace Flynn set as bond for this guy? A signature bond of $5,000. A signature bond means you do not have to post a penny. All you have to do is if you violate the terms of your bond, all you have to do is promise to pay $5,000. Now, where this guy would get $5,000 is a complete and, and total, I mean, who who knows where that would happen. But he essentially, after getting caught with a machine gun, driving a car that was involved in a shooting, leading the cops on a high-speed chase, smashing into another car, fleeing from the police, they turn him loose by a promise to pay $5,000 if he, in fact, doesn't show up or violates bail. And by the way, did I mention he's on probation for doing, I mean, fleeing from the police three months ago? If you want to understand why things are so out of control around here, all you have to do is look at the case of Naver Williamson, who gets put on probation three months ago for doing essentially well, running from the cops, who now in the car that's been involved, believed to be linked to a shooting, there is a machine gun in the car. You lead the cops on a high-speed chase. You go down the wrong way. You hit another car. You run, and you are back out on the street with alarming frequency. If you want to understand why we cannot get a handle on crime in this community, and if you want to understand why it is that people run from the police, why it is that people involve themselves in shooting, if you want to understand why, it's because they think they can get away with it. And why do they think they can get away with it? Because they do get away with it. A $5,000 signature bond on someone. $5,000 signature bond, not even a cash bond, a signature bond. I'm looking at the story on Fox 6. I'm looking at the cars that were destroyed. It is a miracle that somebody was not killed. And now the question is, okay, where where do we go from here? Is this going to be another case of probation? Is it going to be double secret probation? Or, by the way, Cavalier Johnson says he wants to start holding criminals accountable. Well, okay, is this going to be a case that we're going to focus on? signature bond, and he's back out on the street. Go figure. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. If you follow me on Twitter, I just, it's it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I just sent out a link to this story. And yes, a signature bond for this guy. Look, it's never going to get any better in Milwaukee County until there's a major sea change in attitude regarding dangerous criminals. Jeff, my question is, where's the outrage? Where are Milwaukee leaders? And moreover, where is Cavalier? Oh, yeah, Cavalier will be appalled. This is a joke. Jeff, this is why Milwaukee is in the top 10 of most dangerous cities. Um, Jeff, you owe me a car detailing. My head actually did explode. <laughs> I, You know... 
you know, I, I don't know what to do. Jeff, sadly, when you discuss these travesties of our legal system, we need to hold justices accountable when the next offense involves the loss of human life. How quickly we forget Daryl Brooks. Absolutely. Jeff, I read this story last night, and I knew your head would be exploding as mine did. My question is, when these punks flee police, do they purposely drive on the wrong side of the street knowing for safety reasons the cops may call off the chafes? Yeah, I think that there's... I think there's an element of, of this. And again, you ask the question, what, why is it that people do it? It's because they get away with it, and they know they can get away with it. A $5,000 signature bond for somebody who was put on probation three months ago for doing the same thing, who endangered the lives of God knows how many citizens, who presumably was involved in an armed robbery or shooting the day before, who's got a, a modified weapon that turns out to be a machine gun in the car fully loaded and you put him back out on the street i I would say what is wrong with what is going on in the milwaukee court system but that is i mean that's just kind of begging the question jeff they know they can get away with anything why aren't the da's and the judges held accountable da's and judges let these people back on the streets they should be responsible for the damage they cause it's that simple um yeah, um, that's that's it. You know, um, should we start holding judges responsible for their bonds if more crimes are committed? Well, I think that there's a um, I think that you've got a, an issue with that. The judges just simply say, well, you know, we we, we want to you know, we want to determine if the person's a, a, a flight risk. Well, OK, if you're running from the police at a high rate of speed, driving a car down the wrong way, I don't know what could be better example of a flight risk. Jeff, what's the over-under on how many people this person will kill if he runs from the cops in the near future? Um, well, I think there is an element of that. Jeff, it's no secret that Milwaukee is turning into a sewer rapidly because of out-of-control crime. It's just unacceptable. Jeff, is this a crazy bond? Is he on a probation hold? Don't think so, but don't know for sure. Um, Jeff, do any of our judges know the word remand, no bail? Why wasn't the car taken from this criminal? Uh, well, I, I don't think the car was drivable, given how I'm looking at this. Oh, but by the way, this will make you feel better. As a condition of this guy's bond, condition of this guy's bond, he's not supposed to drive without a license. <laughs> You've run from the police. You're carrying, you're carrying, you know, a, a modified machine gun. And the judge says, well, I don't want you to drive without a license. Oh, yeah, that's going to mean uh, a, an, that's going to mean an awful lot. And and the court commissioner says, I don't want you to possess dangerous weapons. Oh, I'm sure he's going to be listening to that because next time they catch him, what's going to happen? Well, he's going to be liable if they try to revoke his $5,000 signature bond. And where is this guy going to get a $5,000 to pay that signature bond? Well, I, 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 I doubt that he's got it in the 17-year-old's got it in bank accounts and things like that. It's just, it would, it's a joke, but it's not a funny joke. And this is the type of thing that happens on a daily basis around here. And you wonder why there's car chases and you wonder why there's crime and you wonder why innocent people are getting hit and you wonder why there is this carnage going on. It's stuff like this. We tolerate it. This isn't a problem with the police. Police did their job. It is a problem once it gets past the police level where we refuse to hold people accountable. And until and unless that changes, Things are never going to get significantly better, period. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
We, we are going to move on, because seriously, my head is going to explode. It's just, it, it's what goes on in the so-called criminal justice system around here is a flat-out disgrace. There's just no other way to describe it. And, you know, innocent people are, are hurt and are victimized on a daily basis, and it's just out of control. And it's just, uh, there's, you know, people say, what can you do about it? Well, until you start getting a sea change of attitudes among the judges and among the court personnel and among like the prosecutors, nothing's going to change. It's just going to, that's just the reality. I hate to sound defeated, but that's just kind of what it is. One of our texters makes a point. I was talking about this, this auto seer and without going into too many details, it's a $2 piece of, this is really, really scary. This is what the texter says. Jeff, uh, Channel 12 had a related story that many of the guns used in recent shootings have been illegally modified to fire automatically with clips of up to 100 bullets and that a typical shooting scene, authorities are finding dozens of spent cartridges. So not only is everyone in the inner city apparently armed, even youth as young as 11 or 12, but they're also armed with weapons that fire like munition, military munitions. Scary. Yeah, it 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 is. Um for, w- without going into too much detail, th- this this auto sear, it's a piece of plastic that costs like two bucks, and you attach it. I don't even want to go into too many details, but you you attach it, and the point is, it it, it goes around the trigger. You pull it, and it keeps the trigger depressed. So instead of you know normally with a semi-automatic pistol or a rifle or whatever, you have to keep pulling the trigger. You can shoot a lot of bullets because you can pull triggers pretty quickly. But this auto sear device, the way it operates is once you pull the trigger, it empties all the ammunition that is in um, that that's in the um, in the, the the clip that you have. That's you know that's how it ends up shooting those things and so it's kind of like you you can fire so in this guy's in this particular case so he had an extended magazine with what was it 15 or 16 bullets and one in the chamber so you could fire all those rounds simply by pulling the trigger once and and this is now common that's out there this is the now this is the firearm of choice let's get these auto sear devices so we can turn regular handguns into machine guns oh that's good and then when we catch the guy let's let him out on a bond of five thousand dollars signature after fleeing from police you cannot make this stuff up okay lest my head explode let us completely and totally change gears here and if you want to read more about the story you can follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i've got a link all right the um State law says that schools are not allowed to start before September 1st unless you get special dispensation from the Department of Education. And while they'll do it in certain circumstances, it is not easily given. So the rule here is school cannot start before September 1st. Now, as a practical matter, for example, um, September 1st this year falls on a Friday. So with Labor Day weekend coming up, you're not going to start school on, on Friday and then you know have a three-day weekend and then come back and start on Tuesday. So as a practical matter, school isn't going to start till after Labor Day. There is a bill that's being introduced in the legislature, and I think it has bipartisan support, which would change the law to allow school to start the Monday before Labor Day without having to get any sort of permission from the Department of Edu- the State Department of Education. You could uh, essentially, if the, if the local school district said, hey, we want to get kids back in school the, 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 essentially like the last week of August, 
you could do that. So if this bill were to pass, school could have, if a school district decided, school could have started this past Monday instead of having to wait till next Tuesday to start. Now, this particular bill also says if you started on the Monday before Labor Day, you can only go four days that week. You have to leave off Friday, so you'd still have a four-day weekend if you could follow that. But the idea would be to give school districts more latitude as to when they start school. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I think, and I'm I'm interested to get your reaction. First of all, I think this bill is a good idea. I think local school districts should have the discretion as to when they choose to start school. And if they decide, based on what's going on in the community, that they wanted to start school on Monday instead of having to wait till next Tuesday, I think they should do that. I would actually go one step farther, and I would say that I think local school districts should have the discretion to decide when it is that they want to start school. And if they want to start school the third week in August, for example, I think that they should have the right to do it. I don't think the state government should have to you know, bless a local school district's decision as to when it starts. Now, I'm not saying that every school district, for example, is going to want to commit to um, you know, starting in the middle of August or the third week in August. But I think that there might be, I think the school district should decide. In, when they first passed this law, let's understand what happened. This was because of pressure brought from the tourism industry, particularly out of Wisconsin, uh, out of the Wisconsin Dells area, who, you know, wanted to have the kids through the whole summer and they didn't want the kids going back to school before Labor Day because they needed them to work in the different areas. Oh, okay, I, I understand it. That might be where, you know, if you're around a resort area, the Wisconsin Dells, it might be where the school districts make the decision, okay, we're, we're going to wait till after Labor Day. But if a local community wants to start school the third week in August, or certainly the Monday before Labor Day, I think they should have the right to do it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. State law says school cannot start before September 1st. Now, if a school district wants to start earlier, you can petition the Department of Education, the, the state, and, and and ask them for permission. Maybe they'll grant it. Maybe they, they won't. But there is a move afoot to change the law. New bill being introduced would allow school, if a district wants to, not having to ask permission, not having to say, Mom, may I, they could start the Monday before Labor Day, which means school districts could have started Monday if they chose. I, I support that. But I, I just don't I don't think this should be a matter that the state controls anyways. I don't think you should have to ask the State Department of Education for for anything here. I think school districts should be able to decide if they want to start the third week in August and that's what school boards and the local communities want and that's what the community wants, I think that they should be able to do that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, this is such a no brainer. Let the local school districts decide when to open their schools, period. State government has enough high level issues to work on um jeff years ago school did start before labor day it was the tourism industry that pushed the legislators to change yeah absolutely and that's why i say it may very well be that there will be some school districts if you live in a in a tourist area wisconsin dells for example it, it may very well be that the school decides hey we don't want the kids 
we don't want the kids going back until after Labor Day. So they, they, they can start on, on, you know, next Tuesday. That, that's, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. But if you live in another school district where, for example, you know, you don't have that, that tourism sort of issue, why, why not let you get the kids get into school earlier? And maybe then, maybe you can get out of school earlier in the spring. You know, maybe you can take a longer uh, break over the holidays. Whatever you want to do, just let it be local control. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, wonderful to hear your voice. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you. Uh, lived in central Illinois, graduating class of 88. 67 of us have bachelor's degrees. Got out of school at Labor Day. No, I've done at Labor Day. Started at Labor Day, mm-hmm. got out of school at Memorial Day. And uh, got her done. Yeah, I don't know what, what. What about all these extra times? What is that all about? Well, I mean, Bill, thanks for calling. I mean, look, and there's all this 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 downtime that's built into the school schedule. But and 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 I, I I'm not advocating changing that. I'm just and, and maybe part of this is just kind of personal. You know, where, where I went to college, I went to college in a in an area a lot of, a lot of farm kids. And a lot of the kids that I went to school with, they grew up on family farms. They worked at the farms. We started school early because we were out in the middle of May because they, they needed the kids to work on the farms and planting and stuff like that. And I, I have to tell you, maybe this is just personal preference. I, I, I would rather get out of school earlier than – I'd rather go back earlier and then get out earlier in, in May as opposed to kind of hanging on because the last couple of weeks I – mean, I don't think a lot of learning gets done in late May and early June. But, uh, but, but maybe your school district is different and maybe there's different needs. I respect that. But this idea that we're going to limit when school districts can start – and again, a number of you are making the point, as I said earlier, this the law was changed because it was a big sloppy wet kiss to the tourism industry – I just don't think it's valid. I think what needs to happen is school districts have to decide what's best for, wait for it, the education of the children. You know, what what's best for them? What's the best learning model? And maybe, just maybe, it's better to get the kids back in school sooner um, so they don't lose as much. And maybe you argue, well, Jeff, you know, two or three weeks doesn't make a difference. Well, I don't know about that. Mike in Two Rivers. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, uh, I could com- uh, completely agree. You could start it one week early, but it's like you just said a big sloppy kiss for this teachers' union for them to get another day off. It should be five days, not four days. Oh well, I mean, I, Mike. I, here, here's the thing. Here's why. Okay, so what, what Mike's referring to is the legislation that was introduced would allow you to start the Monday before Labor Day. So th- this would be applicable this year. So you could have started school on Monday, but it can only be a four-day week, so you get the, the four-day weekend. I don't know, candidly, I don't think it's, in this case, I don't think it's for the teachers because they still have the same number of school days. What I think it is, it's it's kind of a compromise. So families that want to take a, a long, if, if you want to do something, the last vestiges of summer, you can still do a four-day weekend or something. If you want to go to Door County or, or whatever, you still have that extra day. But I, again, I just think, I don't think this is something that state law should be fooling with. I mean, the state law says the number of days that defines the number of school days that you have to be there. No problem with that at all. But why don't we just allow the local school boards to say what's best for our kids? 
you know, and how soon do we want to get the kids back in school? What are the needs of our community? Let them make that decision. And if it's the third week in August, it's the third week in August. If it's the Monday after, it's the Tuesday after Labor Day, it's the Tuesday after Labor Day. I don't think this one size fits all is the best thing for kids because what might work in Bayfield doesn't necessarily work in Racine. So, and then why should you have to go hat in hand to the state saying, okay, well, we want special permission to do this. Just let the school boards decide, period. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A handful of texters are reporting that uh, in some of their areas, uh, Oshkosh School District, for example, start. they say it, it starts this Friday. So so uh, apparently some of the school districts, September 1st is the first day you can, you can start. So they're making a decision to start on Friday and then take a three-day weekend. Now, I understand I just did 15 minutes arguing about how I, I'm a big believer in local control and stuff. If I lived in some of those school districts, my question would be, what? You're going to you're going to bring everybody back in for one day and then have a three day weekend. Oh, that's going to be real good for learning. So um, it's up to the different school districts. Okay, for those of you who are watching at home, you know, once again, this is this is old school because I haven't had access to the Internet for a day or two. This is my list. I'm now displaying this. If you're watching us on our streaming service, this is my list. You see how we're moving down all the different stuff. This is how we used to do it back in 1995. A lot of great stuff coming up right after the top of the hour news. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Greg Matzik, first of all, it always cracks me up when you thank yourself. You know, you've done the, sure. it's a recorded spot, and then it comes back to you live. Thanks, Greg. Well, I saw you chuckle. Sometimes I do things, <laughs> Jeff, for your enjoyment and the enjoyment of others. Well, exactly. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's clever. I think it's clever. Oh, well, so thank it you made, very much. It made me smile. Okay, I was talking about this with Vinny. You're the, you're the sports guy here. So today is the day that the Packers are doing their, their cut down. And it used to be during training camp there were different dates. So maybe you started with 90 and then you had to go down to 70. They don't do that anymore. So today right. it's like, I mean, it's like Bloody Tuesday. So all these NFL teams, the Packers have to drop 36 players. And so uh, if all 32 teams do that, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of these players that are going to that they're going to find themselves released. I guess part, I, I know people pay lots of attention to this. I guess first of all, from the perspective of how well the team does, does it make really any difference who the 58th guy is versus who the 53rd guy is? Well, you kind of look at it from two different standpoints, right? So with Aaron Rodgers gone, the Packers are clearly going to be a younger team than ever before, right? right? So they say goodbye to Mason Crosby. They draft a rookie. They say goodbye to Pat O'Donnell yesterday, a veteran punter, punter, good punter, right? right? He belongs in the NFL, there's no doubt. But because of this commitment to youth, now they go to this guy from Ireland who's a, a rookie free agent who is kicking in college, right? right. So inexperience is going to be in a variety of spots on this Packers roster. Uh, sometimes veteran players will get released in a casualty of the salary cap. And you pay attention to those names. Others who are going to be released today could also come back on the ta- on Packers practice squad. So if they they do see a reason for development of the player, You'll keep them around, have them on the practice squad, and see what they develop into. And the practice squads are larger today than they were five. Yeah, like years sixteen ago. players, right? Yeah, they, they've like really that. upped the number, and then that's really because of Injuries, you know, the right. war of attrition in the NFL. Yeah. I, I, it is interesting. I'm looking through the, the list that these names are coming out, and and I acknowledge that I perhaps haven't followed the Packers as closely in this preseason as maybe others, but. 
I don't think I recognize any of the names. Yeah. Jimmy Phillips Jr., Broughton Hatcher, Marvin Pierre, Deuce Watts, uh, Kadeem Telfort, um, Innes Gaines, Gene DeLance, the list goes on and on. Keandre Thomas, Lou Nichols. And I, and I'm sure it's tough for these guys because for many of them, it's the end of their dream. You know, they want to, they want to play in the NFL and it's not going to happen. But at the same time, I'm like, huh, okay, well, should really, should Packer fans really care that, this guy gets released. Well, the name on the list that stands out to me is Lou Nichols, because he was a draft pick of the right. Packers this year. Now he's been injured. That's the right. problem. So the likelihood of him being released and coming back to the Packers on the practice squad, to me, that's that's sort of one of those players I would pick out and say they thought enough of him to draft him. The others are undrafted rookie free agents, right? right. They maybe don't belong. Uh, but the practice squad becomes a viable option for a player who's injured, who has no tape, even in preseason games, or during training camp. Right. So what team's going to go after that guy, right? The Packers probably feel comfortable they can bring him back. The um, From the, the perspective of the general manager and the coach, I assume there's a bias towards the players you've drafted. So all things being equal, if you pick somebody in the sixth round versus an undrafted free agent, all things being equal, you, you go with the guy that you drafted? Yes. You know, that player was on your draft board for a reason, and it's because you saw something in that player. And when you get the later round draft, draft picks, there is something that stands out, right? It, it's some athletic gift, something they do well that you try and grab onto, and then you hope you can develop the other skills. When you're talking about a first rounder, especially a top 15 pick, there is something just so marvelous about that player's athletic ability, something just of the freakish 1% nature that you work to develop the, the honed skills it takes to be an NFL player, and in time you'll have what you believe will be a dominant player. There have been years where there has been a surprise cut. Um, sure. You know, where it's, oh, I, I can't believe that they let, you know, this guy go, high-profile offensive lineman or something like that. You go, boy, this, this is really kind of a surprise. Uh, I don't get the sense that that's going to happen this year. Well, I mean, how many profile, high-profile players do they have anymore, <laughs> right? You're talking about a team now that has, you know, if you want to include the training camp roster, over 60 players 25 years old or younger. Right. This will be one of the youngest teams in the NFL when all the cuts are made. So uh, O'Donnell cut yesterday. The Packers do that to give him the ultimate chance, chance to, to find end up job, on yeah. another team. Right? right? They could have released him today, right. but they chose to do it yesterday because they know he's an NFL punter. He's also going to be an unrestricted free agent after this season, and the Packers felt good about the rookie they have to give him a shot. Right. So... Um, we will watch the names. Yeah, by three o'clock this afternoon, it's all said and done. Then the practice squad gets formed, and well, Packers I would imagine also. I would also imagine like tonight. Then you got the general manager who's looking at all these other players that mm-hmm. got cut from the, the teams. And again, if it's if it's each team, thirty-two teams are cutting thirty-five people. I mean, do the math. There's a lot of people out there, and maybe you find somebody who's might be better than you know the people you have on your roster. There was one year, it was maybe three years ago, maybe four, where the Packers cut both of their long snappers and they didn't have one. They've done that this year. Right, and, and here They've we go again. This, this year, where yeah. it's like, all right, we think a guy is better out there somewhere. We will get that person. We don't know exactly who it's going to be, but they likely know who they're targeting. Right. But So you do make those moves and then scour the waiver wire for an improvement. Interesting. I Interest, interesting way. And I, it's I, fascinating. And, right. And I don't mean to be, be flip about this because I understand you're talking about people's lives, their careers, and they've, you know, you have a lot of these players who've dreamed all their life that this is what they're going to do. They're going to play football and, and the reality sets in that no, that's at least, 
at least at this point in time, here's your box of future endeavors, and we'll see how it all works out. I know you and I, we just say names, right? But there's <laughs> you know, there's actual human beings well, behind right, those right, names, exactly. Who have to call their you know call their mom and say, "Mom, it just didn't work out." So um, we will. And I know in Wisconsin's afternoon news, you'll have the full list of that. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. This is um, it's the the story. I guess the word that came to mind is ironic. So here's what here is what happens. Yesterday morning, 5 a.m. in Chicago, West Town in Chicago, and it's it's right before like the you know everybody you do the morning news you know right and sometimes I mean around here it starts at 4:30 or 5 and you do you, they send out reporters and stuff to do live reports and things. So 5 a.m. yesterday, Univision. Chicago TV crew, they're in a particular part, they're in West Town, and they are reporting on a rash of armed robberies. So they're doing the, the stand-up from the, the area, reporting on a string of armed robberies across the city, including an armed carjacking of a woman that occurred on Sunday night. And it, it happened, so they're in the same block where the woman was carjacked, right? So that's it. And they're, okay, last night there was this carjacking. We've got all these armed robberies. Would you like to guess what happened to the TV crew at 5 o'clock in the morning? Three guesses. First, do do, do not count. The reporter and the photographer, this would be the camera person, were filming shortly before 5 a.m. in the 1200 block of North Milwaukee Avenue when, wait for it, three men wearing ski masks exited two cars and approached them displaying firearms. The suspects demanded money from the two, then went through their SUV, stole a camera, two bags containing equipment, and a backpack belonging to the photographer. Um, And thankfully, the reporter and the photographer were not injured. But it's the ultimate in irony. And it says it it happened, look, it happened in Chicago, but this could happen in Milwaukee. It, It says all you need to know about the state of crime in urban areas. You've got the TV crew that is out there doing the report on armed robberies, and they get they get armed. They are the victim of armed robberies by three guys carrying guns and wearing ski masks. The only the only thing was missing from this story is apparently they were filming this. They weren't actually on live TV at the time they were robbed. But I don't know if they would have waited another half hour. This could have been a robbery on TV. It shows how brazen the criminals are. Um, I, I used the word ironic to describe it when I sent out the note on Twitter. But it, it's you could use another series of words as well. <laughs> Just, okay, we're doing a report on armed robberies. Here, we're out here, and oh, by the way, the three guys with ski masks just stuck guns in our face and took all our stuff. Welcome to America in 2023. When we come back, all right, I want to talk a little bit about politics. Stick around. It is an interesting perspective, um, you know, when, when you have, like we do, when you have a place in Florida now watching all, all this hurricane coverage and the, you know, we got hit by Hurricane Ian last year. Um, and a, a lot of friends of mine who, you know, have places closer to the water than mine in Fort Myers, I mean, still are, are rebuilding and they don't know when they're going to be able to get back in their, their places and they're fighting with insurance companies and all that stuff. This hurricane looks like it's going to hit a 
much farther north of, of where my place is, for example. And to the extent there's any good news with a hurricane, it, it looks like where it's scheduled to make landfall is is one of the more one of the less populated areas of the Gulf Coast of Florida, and that that doesn't change anything if you're one of the people that live in Taylor County or whatever. But it's as opposed to hitting like a, a major area like Naples or Fort Myers or something like that. But still, it's just you you look at the destruction that these hurricanes cause, and you go, wow. You just hope people you hope people are smart when it comes to this, and when authorities say evacuate, evacuate. Okay. Last week, of course, was the Republican debate in Milwaukee. We've talked about this. Uh, It's interesting about the aftermath. Now, a couple of things have happened since then. Donald Trump gets booked on on Thursday, and he he has that sort of snarling website with that that snarling, you know, look for his mugshot. And now that's become, you know, the the, it has I hate the phrase gone viral, but it has gone viral because um, and Donald Trump, apparently, according to his campaign, they say they raised seven million dollars in the three days following that that mugshot. As people were, I guess, responding, and that's that's like the biggest three-day period that they've had in in years. Uh, they raised like one and a half million within 24 hours of this this mugshot. So people are sending Donald Trump money. I understand that many of you disagree with me on this, but I still continue to believe that when all is said and done, Donald Trump is not going to be the Republican nominee, and I'm not even sure he's going to be in the the race. Partly, well, I think there's a lot of things going on, but these legal problems. Um, I don't know how you can have a trial that is scheduled for, you know, the day before Super Tuesday. And, you know, you're going to be in court for four to six to eight weeks, you know, facing serious felony charges. And then right after that trial ends, you're supposed to go down to Florida and answer a federal trial down in in Florida. I, I just think at some point in time, I would not be surprised if Donald Trump says, look, I, I just this is I, I'm being I'm being forced uh, this, this is the, the deep state that's coming after me, and it's crooked Joe Biden and the Justice Department has forced me doing this, but I owe it to my family, I owe it to myself. I've got to take a step back. I've got to defend myself on these unjust charges and concentrates his effort there, steps out of the race, and under my scenario, maybe you have one of the people who moves forward and replaces him. You know, they say, hey, we're going to pardon him in the event that he is convicted. I don't know, but that's just one of the scenarios that's there. But I, I think... There are a lot of people who are considering alternatives to Trump in the Republican primary. And I I will tell you, my big takeaway, and I said this after the debate, was I I thought Ron DeSantis did okay. Um, I think he did okay. And I I think the real winner of the debate was Nikki Haley, former ambassador to the United Nations under uh, former President Trump and former governor of South Carolina. I thought in a field of eight, she she stood out as being like one of the grown-ups in in the room. And at least some of the new polling that's out there suggests that that might be the, the case. Before the debate, there were about 29% of the people in this one poll I was looking at that said they would consider voting for Nikki Haley. You know, it didn't say that they would commit to voting for Nikki Haley, but they would consider voting for Nikki Haley. Same poll taken over the last couple of days says that after the debate, 46 percent of Republican voters say that they would consider voting for her. Again, that's not saying they've made up their mind. It's not saying that they made a commitment, but it's like, hey, we saw this. We we like what we heard. We like what we saw and we're open to to her. 
Um, and I think that's one of the, the real movements that, that you've had. Not a commitment necessarily, because I think there's just too many variables for people right now. I don't think any, I don't think any poll that says, well, I'm positive I'm voting for so and so and so and so. I think you gotta take that with a grain of salt. What I was looking for out of the debate is candidates that distinguished themselves. And I, I think, Nikki Haley did a really good job of doing that. And these numbers are starting to suggest that, okay, her first real introduction to a a large scale audience, like 12.8 million potential voters, um, was, was positive. And you've got, I mean, I don't know, um, again, a significant movement of people that are saying that they did consider voting for her. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. If for some reason people move away from Donald Trump or Donald Trump decides to get out of the race or there's some other unforeseen problems that occur, is Nikki Haley emerging as the viable Trump alternative? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're looking for movement following the Republican debate, and again, I understand that Donald Trump continues to be the the giant gorilla in the room. And I, know, I know that some of you disagree with me. I still don't believe he's going to be the Republican nominee, and I think that there's going to be circumstances that are going to come along that I'm not sure he's even going to be running for president eight or nine months from now. And I, I've explained why that is. But if you're looking for somebody to emerge from the debate, Nikki Haley saw the largest increase in support among Republican candidates. Um, Now, she was down at two or three percent. So now she's polling around nine percent. Okay, so that's I understand that there's a long way to go. But she emerged more interesting to me is the fact that before the, the debate, there were about 26% of people who said that well, they, they'd consider voting for her. Now that 29%, now that's up to 46%. And that's just after the one debate. Now, how did she do it? Well, I mean, keep in mind, she's the first one to criticize both Trump and various other Republicans for adding $8 trillion to our debt. I think she staked out a strong position on uh, abortion by making what is the very pragmatic case that, you know, it, a federal abortion ban is not going to, you know, happen. And I, I think, you know, she came across as the grown-up in the room when she was talking about Ukraine. Now, I'm getting some texts from people who say, well, she's just she's just this neocon. Don't you realize that we have to get out of Ukraine? Well, I no, I don't think we have to get out of Ukraine. Matter of fact, I think that Nikki Haley made one of the the best arguments as to why it is in the U.S.'s interest to stop Russian aggression in Ukraine as opposed to getting drawn into a World War III if Putin rolls over Ukraine and then decides to invade Poland or one of the other NATO countries, and then we're off to the races. It also sends a message to China, which is helping Russia, that, you know, if China acts on Taiwan, the United States is going to have something to say about it. Now, I understand if you're one of these people who think it's closed borders, it's none of our business, you know, wait, why do we care if, if Putin, you know, takes over Ukraine or takes over Poland or things like that? Well, I just, I'm sorry. I think that that's a very short-sighted attitude. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm over Trump. Bring on Nikki Haley. 
Um, Jeff, I could see Trump backing out and giving his full endorsement to Vivek, who will then absolutely destroy Biden. Um, I don't think that that's going to happen at all. Jeff, I've been a Nikki fan since 2016 from a never Trump guy that hasn't had a presidential candidate to vote for in the last two opportunities. I say Nikki Haley 2024. Jeff, not only do I think Nikki Haley is the best Republican candidate, I believe she will attract independent voters and possibly some Democrats looking for an alternative to Joe Biden. I agree completely with that. I I think, first of all, being female does not hurt her at all. Women like to vote for women. Joe Nikki Haley is one of Joe Biden's worst nightmares. She's young. She's comparative. She is comparatively young. She is female. She is, I think, a a reasonable, moderate sort of conservative. People say, oh, she's establishment. She, you look at her record in South Carolina. You look at her record as ambassador to the United Nations. She is a solid conservative. And assuming for the sake of argument that Trump isn't in the picture, which is what my premise is, I think she's a very, very viable alternative. And I think that if Nikki Haley runs against Joe Biden, she crushes Biden, absolutely crushes him. Roger in Waukesha. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. uh, I have been a I have been a supporter of Nikki Haley from the very beginning. And I'll tell you, I became very aware of her when she was the U.N. secretary under Donald Trump. This was a tough gal that made common sense and was not afraid to stand up. She garnered my respect. And then she comes to Wisconsin, and she helps out Ron Johnson with his campaign. Had a chance to chat with her during that whole thing. She is the real deal, and she hasn't deviated from her message at all. Yeah, no. She's a conservative, and I like what she says and how she says it. Yeah, Roger. I I mean, I think she was the one. And I I think, like I said, I think DeSantis did okay. I think Vivek is, is... I don't, I don't think, I understand, I, I understand that, you know, he was kind of the slash in the pan. I don't think his candidacy is, is going anywhere. Um, and I, I, there were some other, I mean, Mike Pence, Mike Pence has, has no chance because the people that love Donald Trump think, uh, Pence was a traitor by not, uh, by, by, by failing to, when he failed to not certify the election, double negative there. Um, and then the people who, like who don't like Donald Trump think that well I can't support Pence because he was Trump's vice president so Trump is going no by so Pence is going nowhere um Chris Christie I, I think he's an interesting guy he's going nowhere I like Tim Scott Tim Scott just kind of got caught up in the backwash of that Jeff Nikki Haley came off as the smartest person on that stage I had not previously considered her but now I think she might be the best candidate she also seems to be attracting some moderate Democrats no harm there. Yeah. Now, some people would say, oh, we don't want any Democrats to vote for you because that means you're a rhino. No, it it means that you have people who are kind of open minded. But the bottom line is you need to win independence. That's just the, the truth. If you're going to win a state like Wisconsin and from the perspective of Republicans, let's be honest, the path. Is it possible for a Republican to win the White House without winning Wisconsin? It's possible. It is a very, very difficult calculation, though. Okay, what's the key to winning Wisconsin? Well, the key to winning Wisconsin is winning independence, getting some of the suburban voters back that have soured on you know, Donald Trump and have soured on the Republican Party because of Donald Trump. I mean, I think that's the you know case. Jeff, she doesn't have a chance. She started a debate blaming Republicans for inflation. Well, actually, I think she made a good point. You know, you can't talk about 
out of control government spending without addressing the fact that, you know, it, it was, you know, you had some eight trillion dollars, you know, came from when the Republicans controlled the House. And then then what happened is it just went up from there under the Biden administration. Um, you know, no question uh, about this. Uh, as somebody who's voter on both sides of the aisle, Nikki is my favorite across both parties um well yeah i think there's an element of that um jeff i support trump i think he did a great job i also think nikki haley would do just as great a job i agree with you ron DeSantis was pretty good too that that is my only point about this it's it's too early to coronate donald trump you don't know what is going to happen. There's we're we're here. It's going to be September at the end of the week. You've got a long time. You've got Donald Trump, who's going to be facing a number of trials, fair or unfair. He's going to be facing a number of trials, which could, in fact, affect his liberty. He if these trial date goes, he's flat. He's not going to be able to campaign. That's just that is the reality. He's going to be preparing with his lawyers for January and February, unless he's a complete idiot because his liberty is at stake. Then he's going to be sitting in courtrooms starting the first week in March when everybody else is out campaigning. What needs to happen is the Republican field needs to winnow. There needs to be a couple candidates that emerge as alternatives to Donald Trump. And then, you know, people have to start making up their minds and deciding. Don't be surprised if it's Nikki Haley that emerges from that particular scenario. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. One of our textures says, what about Asa, Asa Hutchinson? I, I, I mean, I think he, he's fine. I think the guy from North Dakota was fine. But I guess I view them as, in this election year, as third-tier candidates. I don't see them emerging. If it's not going to be Donald Trump, I think it's going to be one of the more high-profile candidates, a, a Nikki Haley or a Ron DeSantis, you know, maybe Tim Scott, although, again, he had a... he. I don't want to say he had a bad performance, but that clearly was not his format. That That's not the environment that he's best in. Or, you know, maybe somebody that's not in the race quite yet. But I, I don't think, you know, for example, Hutchinson, who's a fine guy, and I don't have any issues with his ideas, I just don't, I don't see him emerging from this crowded field. I don't think that this is necessarily his time. Number of people are, are like our visual aids. We're getting these texts, and again, if you if you if you're live streaming us, I'm kind of doing it. It's old school because my internet got taken out yesterday, and so I've, I've been I'm back in 1995. So I've got my own list of I've got my list of paper here that I'm describing. Somebody was saying, "Is that your handwriting?" Yeah, that's my handwriting. I write really little stuff, but. That's why you don't need to use as much paper there. But I'm kind of checking things off the list as we go through the program. All right. Yesterday, we were talking. I was doing a topic on Joe Biden just be, being too darn old. And, and you know, we've done variations of that before. But I, I think, you know, that's it. He's he's 80 years old. He would be 82 if he was reelected. He'd be 86 at the end of his second term if he were reelected. And the, I, I don't mean to be ageist here because I have I've said I'm a lot closer to 80 than I am to 35. There, there's no question about it. But I, I have friends who are in their 70s and 80s. I, I just they would tell you that, you know, they have slowed down and there's a special kind of arrogance that, that is, okay, I'm the guy that's got to be the leader of the free world, and there's nobody else out there who, you know, can, can do this besides me. I, I also made the comment that I think if Trump does disappear from the scene, how, however that, that happens, 
and you have a younger, more vibrant candidate that runs as a Republican, I think Biden's in a lot of trouble, just a, a lot of trouble. I think he beats uh, Donald Trump because of all the Trump uh, baggage that Trump has, but I'm not sure he beats anybody else. So we were talking about that, and I had a caller, a lady who called up, who was arguing, she said, well, just, just you know, um, I, I, I hate Donald Trump, and you know, Joe Biden's the guy that beats him. I said, well, what if Trump's not there? Well, I, I like Joe Biden. And and my question was to her, and I was kind of paraphrasing this, I said, well, what about some other Democrat? Isn't there some Democrat that's out there that's not an octogenarian who who the Democratic Party could support? I mean, is it just, okay, we're all so in lockstep here, you know, that nobody can see the obvious. There was a poll out that I firmly believe that 69% of Democrats say Biden is too old. 89% of Republicans say he's too old. And yet, just like, and you can make this whole issue with Republicans saying, how can you support Donald Trump? He's got four of these indictments. He's got all this other stuff going on. He's got, you know, we all have baggage. But some people travel lighter than others. You know, Donald Trump does not travel lightly when it comes to baggage. But the same thing is true with Biden. Everybody knows he's too old to do this job for another two, four years. That, that's it's almost it's almost comical that, you know, people want to stick their heads in the sand and pretend this isn't the issue. But anyhow, I, I said to the, the lady who was saying, well, I just I just love Joe Biden and, and, and he's the guy that beats Donald Trump. I said, isn't there anybody out there? That on it's not my side of the aisle, but isn't there somebody out there who's like a, a 65 year old whippersnapper, for example, somebody who's younger who could take up the mantle? And the response I got was, gee, I don't know who that would be. All right. Now, the Wall Street Journal has a piece today. The race to succeed President Biden is heating up on the 2024 campaign trail. And it talks about, you know, some of the people who are out there who are positioning themselves to be the next leader of the of the Democratic Party, whether or not, you know, if Biden runs in 2024, win or lose, right, they're, they're not going to challenge him, um, but they are looking to take over that mantle. So here here is my question. We've talked a lot about on the Republican side of the aisle, who would you like to see emerge, that sort of stuff. All right, is there an alternative to Biden on the other side of the aisle? And who would that be? 855-616-1620. Is it Kamala Harris? Because I will tell you, I think Kamala Harris, we were talking about independence. I think she scares the heck out of a lot of independence. And I don't think she's done anything that convinces me that she's kind of ready for prime time. And if you look at her approval ratings... There's a lot of support for that position that I have, but that doesn't mean, I mean, she checks off a lot of different boxes. She will have been Joe Biden's vice president. You know, she checks off the, the gender box. She checks off one of the race boxes. Um, she's certainly a liberal. Um, she's also got experience as a prosecutor. So, you know, she checks off a lot of boxes. Is uh, is Vice President Harris, is she the future of the Democrat Party or is it somebody else? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, the race to succeed Joe Biden is already going on. Now, there's there no Democrats out there right now that are taking him on other than than, than Kennedy, and that's really not going to go anywhere. But the dynamic could change. I firmly believe that there is a very very good chance that neither Joe Biden nor 
or or actually neither or neither Joe Biden or Donald Trump are going to be the respective nominees of their party. And I understand I'm going in the face of conventional wisdom here. But if it's not going to be Biden, who is out there? We had a caller yesterday who said, well, I just I can't think of anybody that could could take the place of Joe Biden. I can't think of anybody who might be in their 70s or 60s or 50s or 40s who might run. Let's start with Steve in Oak Creek. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Steve. Uh, if we're going to have our first, uh, if we're going to have our first female president, let's make sure that female is uh, Nikki Haley and not Kamala Harris. Uh, well, I, I mean, want to see Biden and Harris get reelected. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I think you have to. I mean, that's that's one of the other aspects that, that's out there because, and and that's that. Look, let let's be honest here. Because we all look at life expectancy and mortality tables and things like that. And, you know, okay, if you're reelected at the age of 82, and this is, it's a stressful sort of job. My gosh, you look at how people just age, you know, once they take over the presidency. All right, it's entirely possible that Joe Biden might live another four years. Nobody knows what that is. But if, if for whatever reasons, um, his health declines and he has to step down, you, you have a vice president Harris. And I think, that's something that scares a lot of people. It should scare, I think, a, a lot of people. One of our texters says, Jeff, the bench is deep. Amy Klobuchar, Gretchen Whitmer, she is the very, very liberal governor of New York. Gavin Newsom, the extremely liberal uh, governor of California. Uh, Tammy Duckworth, uh, actually out of, out of Illinois. Mayor Pete, um, and the very second AOC turns 35, she will own 20% of the base. Well, well, she might. AOC, to me, would be one of the people that is unelectable moving forward because of how polarizing she is. But those are some of the choices that are um, there. Um, Jeff, I think it should be Joe Manchin. He's the he's the senator from West Virginia who's been a thorn in the side of the Democrats um, by refusing to vote for some things um all the way. Jeff, RFK, uh, the second RFK Jr. all the way. It's the only normal sane Democrat out there. He actually sounds conservative at times. Um, oh, yeah, Whitmer is Michigan. Somebody corrects me on that. Right. Um, there's also the governor of New York who's kind of making a play as well. But I think uh, what are, one of our texters says, what about Gavin Newsom? Well, he's he's the governor of California, and he clearly – I think, is anticipating a a run. I mean, there's no question about it. And if if something happens to Biden, Biden decides to drop out or whatever, I have no doubt that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is going to get in, um, you know, he's going to get in with both feet. No doubt about it that that's going to happen. All right. My only point about this is I think both political parties need to be figuring out, okay, what happens next? For the Republicans, I think they've got to be looking at, you know, what's going to happen beyond Donald Trump. And I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. For the Democrats, I don't know what's going to happen beyond Joe Biden. Is it going to be Vice President Harris who just kind of walks in? And if so, is she actually electable if she's running against somebody not named Donald Trump? Hey, speaking of Donald Trump, the Wall Street Journal has a great editorial Great, because in some respects, it says some of the things that I was saying yesterday. I want to share a portion of it with you when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up after the top of the hour news, 
We are moving our way down my show rundown list. Somebody said, can't believe you didn't type this stuff up. Yeah, that's my handwriting. I need to type this stuff up. I'm working through it. Uh, coming up here for the top of the hour news, it's the M word. The M word. We will discuss that. It's a fascinating story. A lot of good stuff coming up in the two o'clock and the three, two o'clock hour of the program. Right now, Wall Street Journal. This, this is a portion of what they write today about the announcement yesterday and Donald Trump's legal tr- uh, troubles. Trump's Super Tuesday trial date. When Donald Trump won the Republican nomination in 2016, he spent Super Tuesday barnstorming Columbus, Ohio, and Louisville, Kentucky, holding his signature rallies. Next year, Mr. Trump might be stuck in the defendant's chair at the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., and how the public will respond is anybody's guest. Mr. Trump has been indicted four times, but the first case to be resolved might be the one involving his 2020 election subversion. On Monday, the judge overseeing the prosecution penciled in a trial date, March 4th. Super Tuesday is March 5th, with more than a dozen states scheduled to vote for their presidential nominees. Um, It goes on to say, what a spectacular mess. Mr. Trump made himself legally vulnerable with his terrible behavior, but the timing of the 2020 election case is the Justice Department's doing. Special Counsel Jack Smith finally moved to secure an indictment two and a half years after the alleged conduct and less than six months before the primaries begin. We've argued that the better part of prosecutorial valor was to let voters settle the issues of Mr. Trump's capability, culpability. Once Smith decided to indict, however, there was never going to be an opportune day to put Mr. Trump on trial. The March 4th choice means that at least some Republican voters from early and Super Tuesday states will probably see their ballots as a chance to protest what they view as unfair treatment of Trump. Voting for him will be their way of giving the establishment the middle finger. Mr. Trump might have the GOP nomination sewn up before a verdict arrives and voters learn whether he's a convicted felon. That would certainly delight Democrats. Perhaps Mr. Trump's legal team will find ways to delay the trial from March 4th, or maybe the prosecution will come up short in court. But the stubborn fact for Republicans, even those fond of Mr. Trump, is that his legal risks are political risks for the GOP. The next federal case, set for May 20th in Florida, involves allegations that Mr. Trump squirreled away national secrets and then tried to delete Mar-a-Lago security tapes to cover it up. Most analysts say that's the strongest indictment. It's incumbent on Mr. Trump's Republican opponents to make the case directly to GOP voters that they shouldn't roll the dice. The way to restore impartial justice is to nominate a candidate who can beat an aging and politically vulnerable President Biden. Sending Mr. Trump to a 2024 rematch, he is likely to lose among independent voters and many Republicans would accomplish nothing. It would be a strange and self-destructive catharsis for Republicans who try to own the libs by making Mr. Biden's re-election easier. This editorial in the Wall Street Journal, I I, I send it out in a tweet, but it's behind a paywall. This editorial should be must-reading for everybody who wants to see a conservative elected in 2024. When we come back after the top of the hour news, $4 movie days and what could go wrong with that, and the M word and charity at the checkout. All those things are coming up, plus more. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. John McCure, you worry about this hurricane? Is that tracking toward your place? Yeah, so we own a place in Hilton Head. I'm looking at the track right now. Yeah. So it's going to go by your place in Florida. Looks like it's going to miss you. But to answer yeah. your question, I, we're going to get six or eight inches of rain in yeah. Hilton Head and wind. 
But I'm not really worried about it. Looks like it's going to be okay. Just a lot of rain. Yeah, it, it is. What it, about you? Is it going to go north no, of yeah, you? It's yeah. We I, I'm I'm in the southern portion. I'm by Naples, essentially the Naples area, so south of Fort and Myers, so, right? Yeah, south of Fort Myers. So this is this is at least. Well, they projected Hurricane Ian last fall. They thought it was going to fur- go further north, and it took a right turn. But I don't—that's not what they're saying. Right. It looks like this is going to hit north of of um, Tampa, and then kind of go across the top of Florida. But it is interesting having, and and, and that that's good. I, I don't wish this on anybody, but you know the area Southwest Florida. Anybody who vacations in Fort Myers area, yeah. it, it's still. It's it's not back. Our our place is fine and stuff, but along the beach and stuff, it's bad. It's it's bad, and you you can't get contractors. It's just very difficult. And north of Tampa, where they're saying it's going to go now, there's people everywhere, but it is less densely populated. So where it's going to go, that big bend, kind of where it curves to the Panhandle, right? If it's got to hit a place, and we don't want it to hit anywhere, that's not a bad choice. It's much better than obviously Tampa, Fort Myers. It, it is interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way that when when you now have a place there yep. it's a kind of it's a completely different perspective than just kind of watching it and and especially having lived through a hurricane last year now we were here and, and all and we we got out we were very very fortunate but having seen this i will tell you when when they say evacuate i you know and where i am like i said there's no evacuation orders and stuff i would get out i mean if you i wouldn't just, mess with it either jeff no. so two and three days ago when it wasn't as clear that it was probably going to go north of Tampa, were you nervous when it was pretty clear a hurricane was coming to the west coast of Florida? Of course, ab- absolutely. Especially having just gone through right. it, right? I mean, it's kind of like okay, I just I, I want a few years off with this. And again, we we were very lucky. I mean, we just we had our, our houses, our, our condo was two feet above sea level, and the water came into the garage eighteen inches. Another six or seven inches, yep. and we're having a completely different conversation. Yep. But but yeah, we got off. But I mean, I was last weekend. I was with some friends who have. They had actually they had their own small condo and another condo on Fort Myers Beach, and it's still devastated. I mean, they can't. Wow, a year just, later, a year later, and and you can't get contractors in, and there's fighting with insurance companies Brutal. as to what they're going to pay, and then you've got you know the rebuilding process is just ugly. I mean, it's it's going to be a, a couple years, I think, oh, before they're brutal. back into this. Now, the the nice thing about some of the people I know is it's like their second place; they they can afford. Yeah. So it's. It, it's a big deal, but there's a lot of people that this was their house that they, they lost and, and all, and, and they don't have insurance or they don't have any place to go. You know, that's, that's where your heart goes out to those people. Right. So, yeah, it's, I'm keeping an eye on it, but it looks like just rain for us in Hilton Head. So uh, we'll yeah. be okay. Fingers crossed that it's uh, it's that there's not a lot of loss of life with that storm surge, which is, could be up to 15 feet in some area. That's a lot of water. Yeah, that was the like that was the thing with Ian. It was the, the storm surge. Yep. It was just the, the water that it poured in because we're a – we're a mile from the Gulf, and and we got you know and this, still we we got wow. we got in our neighborhood. Well, it was I mean I, I saw the video of this in our neighborhood. It was four feet. It was over the I mean it was over the fire hydrants. I mean you saw and this that's a mile and water. a half from the yeah from the beach. Mile, uh, over a wow. mile yeah from the beach. And you saw Holy you God. saw that roll in, and then by the time that's it amazing. got up the driveway, it was less than that. But yeah, you go wow, this is this is. Yeah. Nothing to fool around. Fingers with. crossed for all those folks down there. Absolutely, and uh, fingers crossed for your place there. Yeah, but I think thank you. I think you're going to get rain. Okay, let us let us switch gears. There was a story I I I teased it, and I got a fascinating text from somebody. Um, for the last two years, uh, the, maybe you've heard of this. There's National Cinema Day, and National Cinema Day um, is, is something that that happens. Over the Labor Day weekend, or in some places they they do it before that, 
And, and where they do is they try to, it's the end of the summer unofficially, and so the movie theaters try to encourage people to, to come back, come on back. You know, it's, it's, it's the fall, come back and see movies. And so what they do is they, they offer deeply discounted tickets, $3, $4 tickets. Um, Sunday afternoon, last Sunday, at the AMC theaters, which is, you know, one of the big national theater chains, um, the, the deal was $4 tickets. So, you know, well below whatever the price would be. Here's, here is the problem that they have had. Hundreds of teenagers, and this is the way the LA Times is reporting it, hundreds of theater, of teenagers last year crowded into various theaters across the country. Um, and, and essentially turned it into a brawl. Sunday afternoon, same thing happened um, all across the country at AMC theaters, including two California malls where the AMC theaters offered $4 tickets. At one in Torrance, police estimated, police estimated, listen to this, more than a 1,000 juveniles swarmed to these movie theaters um, and ended up creating huge fights watching fights among other young people, several minor injuries, uh, at least one gunshot was fired. About 30 minutes later at 4.30 p.m. in Northern California, police responded to a call about a disturbance and escorted about 50 young people from a store at the Bay Street Mall in Emeryville. Over the next couple hours, hundreds of more youth gathered with several fights breaking out near the courtyard of the mall. There were shootings, etc. Um Apparently, this was, again, a social media thing, encouraging people to meet up at the shopping center and show up at the movies where they're offering these deals. And the story, Boston, Cicero, Illinois, Albany, New York, um, Georgia, same sort of thing. And and it's the problem is parents dropping off their children at the movie theaters. Hey, it's a four it's four dollars here. And then using the movie theaters as a babysitter. Here, it's a $4 thing. Go to the theaters. And then they're, they're gone. Um, and they don't stick around to, to watch what happens. Um, one of the police chiefs in one of these areas says, don't let the mall's movies raise your child. When they get out of your presence, they might do things that will come back and embarrass you. Movie theater employees expressed frustration on the web with the $4 movie day, with several commenting about the day being disastrous. One user called National Cinema Day one of the worst days they had worked. Another wrote they received an email informing them of kids running around pepper spraying auditoriums. Several users commented that their theaters shut down early. It goes on and on and on. So that's the background of this. Here's I want to share a text with you. Jeff, it's not $4, but for the longest time, we had $5 Tuesdays at our local Marcus Theater. It was quite the nightmare. All these parents just dropping off their crappy kids to loiter around the theater. Most weren't even interested in the movies. They were just causing problems for the theaters and in the lobby and had zero respect for adults. As a police officer, we were called there pretty much every Tuesday. The theater finally had to put rules in place where children had to be accompanied by an adult after 6 p.m. Unfortunately, there were plenty of parents that complained about that also. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, part of this story is this is a reason why we can't have nice things. 
You know, the idea, hey, what a great idea. $3 movies or $4 movies or $5 movies. Let's make them affordable. Okay, Let, let's encourage people to go back. You know, maybe you haven't been to a movie theater for a while. This is great. It's a way to do that. But it appears that you have, at least in some areas, you have the, the kids that are just kind of taking this over, which raises the question of, you know, should these movie theaters do what our texter was talking about? And that is that have requirements that say, OK, no unaccompanied minors and you, whether it's under 18 or under 16 or whatever. Nobody there after six o'clock, maybe nobody there after three o'clock. Would it make for a better experience? It's unfortunate that it would come to this. But this is apparently, it, it's the latest thing. We're going to use the cheap movie days as the opportunity to essentially um, just kind of bum rush the theater and behave like out-of-control hooligans. 855-616-1620. What do you think about, like, no unaccompanied adults, uh, no unaccompanied minors? We do that in all sorts of other places. Do you need to do it in movie theaters? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank. Talk and text line. Speaking of movies, okay, this is, of course, Steelers Wheels, Stuck in the Middle with You. If you've ever, um, Samantha, you've seen the movie uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs. You've never seen Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's first movie. If you've ever, if you've ever, um, if you ever see Reservoir Dogs, there is a scene, and I'm not going to go into it, that has this song as its background. You will never hear the song in the same way. It was Quentin Tarantino's first movie. Uh, a lot of people don't like it because it's it's too violent. I actually think it's one of his best movies um, that's out there. But uh, you should watch it. And there is a scene with Michael Madden, and it's just you will never you can never hear "Stuck in the Middle" with you again without seeing it in that context. Hey, speaking of movies, we're talking about National Cinema Day. It's it, last year. It was Labor Day weekend. Um, it might be this year. This year, it might again be that the AMC theaters last week had on, on Sunday. They had this deal special four dollar movie tickets. OK, well, the problem is what happened is lots of parents just dropped off their their lousy kids at the, the shopping malls and at the movie theaters. You're laughing. Sam's left the lousy kids. Well, they are. And, and they get into fights and they stuff in there. They don't care about the movies, but this is an opportunity. It's four bucks. Let's go hang out. And they're running amok in the theaters. And one of the things is, okay, some of the theaters are saying, okay, well, now we, we, this is why you can't have nice things. You can't have kids, you know, unaccompanied. Now that, that breaks my heart. When I was a kid, Okay, you know, growing up in Glendale, Wisconsin, on Saturday afternoons, we used to regularly go to the old Fox Bay Theater on Silver Spring and Whitefish Bay, and that's how you'd kill a Saturday afternoon. You'd go see, there was like a double feature matinee, and they'd have cartoons and things like that, and one parent would drop you off, and then another body person's parent would pick you up. That's how we spent it. But, of course, we weren't running through the theater, getting into fights, pulling out guns, and shooting people. I don't think. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, yeah, um, yeah, good to talk to you again. Look, what happened is this here. All right, that parent is wrong because that parent knows that that kid is bad. And that kid is not only bad at the movies, that kid is bad at the movies, he's bad at school, he's bad at the roller skating rink. That's just a bad kid. And I just think it should be a heavy-duty fine uh, on the parents yeah. if that kid gets in trouble. 
Yeah, it well, should be a heavy duty fine because it don't it don't make sense. They're closing everything. They're closing skate rinks. They're closing yeah. you know you know yeah. you, you know the stores. They they closing everything. You know, so that parent know that that parent know that that kid is bad. No, John, thank right, and of course there's and well the parents' response is going to be I was surprised. I had no idea. That you know, my kid and his eight low life buddies were going to go there and and get into you know a fight. I'm just absolutely shocked. Or it wasn't my precious kid's fault. But and, and unfortunately, this is why you can't have nice things. Jeff, my employer puts us up in a hotel right next to the mall in Torrance that you're talking about. Several of my coworkers saw that, and we were talking about how this has happened several times since we've been staying there over the last few years. I'm glad that we can now predict it. Yeah, that, that's it. It's like, okay, cheap movie tickets, fine. And great idea. Let's get people to go in. But what happens is you get all the wrong type of people that go in. You get kids that don't care about the movies. You know, they're there, um, they're there when they're just, um, looking for, you know, uh, trouble. And that's, that's absolutely the problem. Jeff, the theaters need to crack down on the noise people make in the theater as well as cell phone and other issues. I see movies much less frequently now because of this nonsense and the theater's tolerances of this behavior will eventually put them out of business. Uh, Jeff, I stopped going to movies in general. I used to love going to matinees. It wasn't the kids that bothered me, but rather it was texting, talking on cell phones, um, things like that. Yeah, people need to realize you're not in the the living room. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, you know, that's that's the whole idea about this. Um, Jeff, I would say definitely, yeah, that they should have limits because obviously we can't see the kids, we can see the kids can't be trusted to be by themselves. And the ones that can are few and far between. And the rest of the kids are the ones that want to cause problems and stuff like that. They ruin it for everybody else. So yeah, I would go on a ban for unaccompanied minors. Um, just like school teachers, the movie theater is not your babysitter. And, you know, whenever we deal with these topics, I always, I always want to try to avoid being Grandpa Simpson, you know, that get off my lawn and, you know, and kids weren't like that in my day. But the truth of the matter is, kids weren't like that in, in my day. You know, you didn't have these stories of all of us who went to the different movies. And I'm not saying you didn't have problems from time to time, but you didn't have, and part of it is the social media thing, the, the idea that, hey, you know, let, let's get a flash mob together. Hey, everybody, let's show up at X movie theater. And, and then all of a sudden, instead of 30 or 40 kids that might be there to see the movies, then all of a sudden you've got two or 300 kids who are there to create an event or whatever. And inevitably these things happen, but this is, this is the problem. And, um, from the perspective of the theaters, I'm sympathetic. Look, it's it's been a tough couple years. I mean, theaters theaters are struggling nowadays. Let, let's be honest, because with streaming services and all the different choices out there, it's just a lot easier to say, hey, I'm going to sit in my living room and I'm going to stream this movie. And, yeah, I want to see this film, but I know it's going to be out on the streaming services in a couple months, so why do I necessarily need to go to the theater? Oh, well, a good reason to go to the theater is it's only 4 bucks. That's great. I can go in, I can get my ticket, and then I can afford to, to buy the, the two-pound Nestle's Crunch Bar if I want to buy it. So I, I can afford to do that. But if it's a situation where, all right, um, I've got to wade through a whole bunch of kids who are looking to do nothing but cause trouble. Well, it makes it even more difficult to justify going to the theater. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
So, very glad to have you with us. We're moving down my handwritten topic list here, but there's still some t- stuff to talk about. Um, Ryan Clancy, he's the kook who is a member of the County Board of Supervisors. He's also a state representative. He represents uh, kind of the east side and then the eastern portion of downtown Milwaukee into Bayview. He's, he's the guy that um, was giving the interviews talking about, you know, law enforcement, Law enforcement, if you're a cop, uh, it's a job that has neither dignity nor value, which, again, it's a double negative. It should be neither dignity or value. But regardless, you, you get the idea. And then when called on this, he just decided to double down. He, he's a kook. And these he, he's a socialist member of the state legislature. He's one of two. And th- these kooks always kind of flame out at, at some point in time. But if there is a bad idea that's out there, chances are Clancy is one of the guys that is behind this. Now, the word is that he's not going to run for – he's a double dipper. He's on the county board collecting money. He's also a state representative collecting money. Word is that he, he's not going to run again to be on the county board of supervisors. But he, he's certainly trying to create as much havoc as he can on the way out. One of the things Clancy has been pushing for is he wants the taxpayers of Milwaukee County to pay for Milwaukee County employees to travel to have abortions. Yeah, you, you, you heard me right. Now, of course, the way it stands right now, abortions aren't being performed in Wisconsin. I think my sense is in the next few months that's going to change because I think this challenge to the law from 1849 that bans abortions, I think it's going to be struck down. But as it stands right now, if you want an abortion, you have to travel out of state to do this. And Clancy has been a big advocate of wanting to take taxpayer dollars and pay to have people travel to have abortions. Now, I, I understand if, if you get treatment, if you've been in the military and you get treatment at the VA, it's a different thing. But other than that, I don't know of any employers anywhere that pay their employees travel expenses if they need treatment. So, for example, if you, I don't know, you need to go to the Cleveland Clinic or you need to go to Mayo or or whatever, I don't think there's too many employers, if any, who pay your travel expenses. You know, you, you've got health insurance and things like that, but but they're not providing, they're not giving you the money to do that. Well, okay, Clancy wants to take taxpayer dollars from Milwaukee County and pay the employees' expenses to go to Illinois to get their abortions or, or, or whatever. Um, so we're not going to pay you to get cancer treatment or we're not going to pay you to get, you know, other sort of health care, but we're going to pay you to get your abortion. Well, the problem, of course, there's, there's many problems with this, but one of the problems is it's probably illegal to do this because you've got state law, which um, has prohibitions on funding for abortion-related activities. Secondly, there's this whole fundamental question of how can we single out one type of health care? Here, we're going to pay for people to travel to Illinois to have abortions, but we're not going to you know, pay for people to travel to Illinois to have other sort of approved medical procedures. So there, there's a huge legal issue with that. So uh, Clancy's solution to this is, okay, well, what we should do is we should set aside thousands of dollars of taxpayer money and we should have a fund. Now, the reason we're doing this is because we want to pay for people to travel out of state to have abortions, but we will we'll create this fund so that um, we will have a medical travel expense that will reimburse employees for other 
sorts of medical care that they have to travel for. The idea, of course, being we're, we're really trying to pay for abortions, but we're reluctant to do this because we know we're going to lose legally. So let's just expand this to other sorts of things. Now, again, with the exception of you know people who get treatment at the VA, I'm not sure there's too many, if any, even public entities that will pay your travel expenses to travel to get medical care and treatment, much less to travel out of state. And since the real purpose behind this is to pay for travel costs for people who have abortions, I think the people in Milwaukee County should be in uproar about this. It's not a question of whether or not people can travel out of state to get abortions, but the fundamental question is whether or not it is appropriate to take taxpayer dollars and essentially underwrite the cost of that travel. Now, I understand through insurance and stuff, you're doing it indirectly, but this is directly, again, funding people, you know, here, here's the $1,200 check, you know, go down to Illinois, you know, spend the money, get your gas reimbursement, you know, stay for a couple days or, you know, whatever. And I think from a fundamental question of taxpayer dollars, is this really how, is Milwaukee County so flush with money that this is an appropriate expenditure? And my answer, again, would, would be no, no, no. Now, will the county board do it? That, that's, of course, a, a whole different question. But it kind of shows you, for everybody out there who didn't like what happened when you had these restrictions, yeah, the county can you know increase the sales tax and things like that, but we're going to put limits on how they spend the money. If, if anybody didn't understand why that's necessary, all you have to do is recognize some of the people that are on the county board and some of the things that they want to spend taxpayer money on. When we come back... It's the M word. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Samantha, producing the show today and always. I know you're going to think I am I am making this up, but I, I am not. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm looking at a story from about 20 years ago, um, August 11th, 2003, that was published in uh, on on Milwaukee, which is one of the you know it's been around for twenty five years. You know, like one of the local websites and stuff. This is again, this is from early August of two thousand three, so it's it's twenty years old. The headline is quote Milwaukee's favorite midget opens new club. Remember the four foot four inch man tooling around Nacho Mama's restaurant in a sombrero filled with chips and salsa. Well, he's back on the scene, and it. There was, around the, the turn of the century, there was a restaurant in town called Nacho Mama's. And th- this, this guy, his name was Steve Vento, um, he, um, he was four foot four. And what he would do is he would walk around the restaurant wearing a sombrero. Filled with chips and salsa. I'm not making this up. And it, then, and what would happen is people would, you know, give him tips and things, you know, like like that. Um, ultimately, the restaurant went out of business. But he's, um, you know, he he's been he was a guy who was aggressively out there um, marketing himself, you know, based on on his height. Um, one of the, and this is the way the story in On Milwaukee reads from 20 years ago. In the past, people of all heights have been offended by Vento's willingness to ridicule his size and the fact that he's accepted paid positions that some find disrespectful to shorter individuals. How does he respond? 
quote, exploit the hell out of me, he says. Um, he says, um, I, I'm just good at advertising. I know how to stir the pot. Um, so he's like, look, this is this is how I make money. And so I'm choosing to do it in this particular fashion. Now, I, I, I was never at this Nacho Mama's place or anything like that. But I mean, I remember when this was a story. Well, this issue has not gone away. Big story in the L.A. Times um, today. Here's the headline. Stunned Sonoma asked him to drop the word midget from the wrestling show. Then this happened. Um, Subheadline. Critics say midget wrestling is an exploitive and dangerous spectacle that fuels public harassment and glorifies a derogatory slur. Promoters say, who cares? And and then it, it talks about... Um, this one of the, these county fairs um, east of San Francisco Bay and how they just it's the Sonoma County Fair and how one of their big attractions was a sold out show produced by what they call and I'm quoting now midget wrestling warriors a troop of short statured performers um, whose opening day showcase drew fiery condemnation from uh, California's dwarf community and disability right groups. Critics say this type of wrestling is exploitive and dangerous. The promoter says he doesn't care. He's four foot one and pushing 50. He's a wrestler, though. His babyface wrestling persona is short sleeve Samson, a pugnacious underdog whose fortunes have only brightened. What's going on, Sonoma County? He yelled into the microphone. Um, uh, shrieks of delight from fair growers riding the wave in the scrambler. He took a lap around the ring, hyping up the sold-out crowd. 200-some seats ringed by a crush of spectators, three bodies deep. Controversy has dogged this guy as he's across the country from Indiana to California. But um, they say, look, here, here's the, the deal. Um, we're... This is what we are. We are little people who we wrestle. I'm not dropping the M, M word out of this. Um, we're we're warriors. This is the show. We make a whole bunch of money doing this. The crowd wants to see it. And so um, that's what we do. One of the people in the story says, I was shocked that this was happening in Sonoma County, um, who this says this woman who tried to cancel the match. As someone who grew up here, this is hard to swallow. Um, but at the same time, there's all sorts of people who like to come out and they view it as, you know, entertainment. Um, it's entertainment. This is something that people can do and make money for their families. Um, 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. I, I'm intrigued by this story because you have a bunch of people who are saying this is exploitive. You know, you, you shouldn't have people that are doing this. At the same time, a number of the people who are doing this are saying, hey, hey, we, we make money. We're making a good living doing this. And if we feel comfortable, you know, engaging in this and people are willing to pay to come see us, who is somebody else to tell me that at four foot one inches tall, I shouldn't be able to make a living as a wrestler? So 855-616-1620. Now, this would not be my thing. I mean, if I lived in Sonoma County, California, I, I wouldn't be spending money to go see this. But at the same time, should the people who are performers, should they have the right to do this? 
Or should other people be able to tell them, no, you can't make a living this way because we don't like it? 855-616-1620. We discuss. It's really an interesting story in the L.A. Times today because there is a... I mean, the, the phrase, and, and this is this is what the promoters do. They say, hey, this is this is midget wrestling. And th- that, that term, the M-word, creates a, a lot of controversy, and some people view it as slur. Other people just view it, hey, it's just descriptive. The, the organization, the performance, is called Midget Wrestling Warriors. That's, that's, that's the way they, they build themselves. But the larger issue is um, there are a group of these performers who go out and you know they, they make a whole bunch of money, and then there's a lot of other people who are offended by this. And the question becomes, all right, you know, who has the right to say? I mean, if if you're offended by this, you think, oh, they, this is exploitive, and they shouldn't be allowing themselves to be exploited in this fashion. Okay, well, h- how do you tell the people that are performing? And actually, it, it's an interesting article in the L.A. Times because they quote the people that are opposed to this, but then they quote a lot of the wrestlers who are saying, hey, look, here here's what we here's what we do. Um, you know, and sometimes people might come because they, they think it's going to be a freak show or something like that, but they leave really impressed by how athletic we are. Um, I guess, you know, I, I guess I look at this and think, I, I think if you, if you want to do that and this is how you think you can make a living on this and it's legal well I, I don't think people have the right to tell you that you shouldn't now a couple of people are saying well how did should should women be able to exploit their their bodies with prostitution well prostitution is different but I mean I think you can ask the question okay should we say that women who decide that they want to be strippers for example should, should we say that you know they shouldn't be allowed to do that now that's not a career choice that I would advocate for you know any of the women in my life but if people decide to do that, all right, again, should we say that you shouldn't be able to, to do that? Um, and I guess I see that as being a little bit different than prostitution. And I'm not encouraging anybody to go into that as an activity. But, again, people make their these decisions about this. 855-616-1620. Jeff, uh, is being a dwarf wrestler any more exploitive than being a plus-size model? Well, I mean, there, there's all these these different things. People have different body characteristics, and they decide, you know, this is this is how they want to make a living. People sticking their, I think, Jeff, this is people sticking their noses into something that is none of their business. Yeah, I would add, if you don't like this, and I understand why you would like not like this, and you're offended by this, and I understand that, then my reaction would be, don't go. And if enough people decide that they're not going to go, well. Then, then there's not going to be a market for it. But at least, for whatever reason, you know, there, there's a lot of people that choose to go to this particular show. Rebecca in Burlington, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi. What do you think? So, I have a question that's really more about the people of Sonoma County. That county is extremely progressive. They tend to say things like, "Her body, her choice" about women's abortion. So why do they get to say their body, my choice about midget wrestling? Well, you know, it, it is, I guess it is kind of selective as to, you know, what you're going to be, you know, offended about. <laughs> no, thanks. I mean, again, I look, I would I go to this? No, I, I, I wouldn't. Um, but at the same time, if this is how somebody chooses to make a living and it's 
legal, unlike, say, prostitution. Uh, and, and that's how they choose to make the, their living. And as long as everybody knows what you're getting into, um, you know, that's, you know, I, who am I to say, no, you shouldn't be able to do that because somebody else might be offended. Beck in Manitowoc. Beck, you're on, uh, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Uh, Short Sleeve Samson was just in Waukesha performing last Saturday, the 19th of uh, August. Okay. All right. Summer Sizzler. Okay. And I was there. All right. Uh, and he wrestled a guy named Rob the Giant, who was a little taller than me. And uh, it was received just like the other matches. Uh, I didn't see anybody ridiculing it or anything like that. Um, and the only thing different about their match, which was kind of memorable, was uh, when he uh, was being uh, pinned by this other guy, he, he pushed him off, and uh, the referee caught him in his arms and set him back down. Yeah, so, I mean... Which it, you couldn't do with a, with a right, 300-pound right. guy. Yeah, you couldn't do that with Andre the Giant if they were we were trying to do no. that and stuff. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, and, and who, are, who are we to say that, all right, th- if this is the way the guy chooses to make a, a living, who are we to say that he shouldn't be able to do it in that fashion? Or, or you know, I, I, and I guess that's where I have the problem with this. And, and they, I live in Manitowoc. They're, they're coming here to Manitowoc with a different group, and they're also using the name Midget in the name of their group. So Yeah, that's how they build them. Yeah. Or the size, they're fine with the, the uh Name. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and again, it's, I mean, at least that's that's the way the, the group bills itself and, and things like that. I guess the bottom line of this is, for a lot of things, it's live and let live, and then for other stuff, we're going to get ourselves worked up about this. Okay, for those of you who have been watching on the live stream all day, started off old school today by showing you the, the list I, I had, and we've actually gone through almost every one of those topics. If John McCure and Greg Matzik would give me 10 more minutes, we'd take care of uh, the last one, but we'll save that for Thursday show.